Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. It's been a common theme on this show that the pandemic has forced healthcare out of those four walls of the hospital and the doctor's office and required that healthcare services be brought to the patient. We've seen this in the acceleration in areas such as telehealth, remote patient monitoring devices, and home health. And in order for healthcare to go remote, however, healthcare has to go digital. But how does an industry that is better known for its filing cabinets and faxes go digital? Tough questions. That's why we're excited today to have Patty Padmanabhan, founder and CEO of Demo Consulting. Patty is a digital health entrepreneur and author of best healthcare digital transformation, how consumerism, technology, and pandemic are accelerating the future. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. I am Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments, Z-E-L-I-S. Zealous's mission is to enable providers to simplify and save on their payments and claims. I also serve as the Communication Committee Chair for Weedy. That's W-E-D-I. Weedy is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and create solutions for a better health system. And as I said, we are excited to have Patty Padmatabon on our show today. Patty is an award-winning business leader and entrepreneur and is the founder and CEO of Demo Consulting. He has had a distinguished career in leadership roles with global organizations such as GE and Accenture. Patty is the author of the best-selling book, Digital Healthcare Digital Transformation, How Consumerism, Technology, and Pandemic Are Accelerating the Future, He's also the author of a previous best-selling book, The Big Unlock, Harnessing Data and Growing Digital Health Business in a Value-Based Care Era. He is also the host of the highly subscribed podcast, The Big Unlock, featuring C-level executives from the healthcare and technology sectors. Patty, welcome, and we're very glad to have you here on The Collective Voice. Thank you, Matthew. It's a pleasure to be here. So, uh, Patty, you've got degrees in business and engineering. You've been a, a leader in digital healthcare for years. How did you? How did you get here? Did you? Is this what you wanted to be when you grew up? How, how did this happen? No, it, <laughs> uh, this is not where I thought I would end up growing up. As with as with many careers, you know, I, my career has taken a lot of twists and turns along the way. But I've been in healthcare now for about twenty years. And eight years ago, I started this company. Prior to that. I was in two healthcare-focused analytics startups that went through exits. And prior to that, my last corporate job was with Accenture as an Accenture consultant in the healthcare space. So, yeah, that's been my journey in the last eight years or so. We've uh, been steadily growing this uh, company now to be a, a reasonably well-recognized uh, specialist firm in the digital transformation advisory space in healthcare. And we work mostly with uh, health systems and with health plans. Very good. And and the title of your book I thought was striking. Healthcare. This was your previous book, not the uh, the most recent. Uh, no, this is the most recent book. Healthcare: Digital Transformation: How Consumerism, Technology, and Pandemic Are Accelerating the Future. Published in two thousand twenty. Uh, and to me, and, and we've heard, had many uh, guests on this show kind of reiterate this. This is kind of an exciting time. I mean, terribly tragic time for the pandemic, but. A very exciting time, actually, for healthcare when it comes to, you know, moving forward digitally, right? We've had the pandemic on one hand. We're seeing a lot of legislative pressures with the interoperability rules and with the transparency rules. So uh, talk to me a bit about this moment in time. What are we, what are we looking at here? 
Well, you know, when the pandemic struck, uh, we saw an acceleration of what you described earlier on, which is all of the digital modalities. How do you get care? Uh, how do you get access to care? How do you meet with your doctor? How do you, uh, you know, how do you take care of yourself if you have a chronic condition or something like that while remaining at home? So all of these modalities, which you can collectively call digital slash virtual slash telehealth, you know, pick your terminology, they all accelerated in the immediate wake of the pandemic. Since then, what we have seen is a more measured uh, 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 leveling off of these modalities based on the uh, more steady state needs of the patient population. So as an example, we, you know, anecdotally and the data, uh, based on the data, we know that telehealth visits, which is real-time video visits, went up by a factor of 20, 30, 50x uh, across the board right after the pandemic struck. But since then, we have now leveled off and it's come back down uh, significantly as patients start going back into the clinic. And uh, now the recent data seems to show that the the pendulum is swinging a little bit towards in-person visits because people want to go in and meet with their doctors. But there's also a lot of things for which they don't need to go in and they don't want to go in. So we're seeing a little bit of an equilibrium emerging, if you will. Alongside that, we've also seen that a lot of emerging digital health startups and even big technology firms like Amazon are recognizing that there is a fundamental shift taking place in the way care is accessed and delivered. And they're now jumping onto that shift and trying to figure out how to play that momentum. Are we in a state of equilibrium yet? No, but I think we're heading towards some kind of a hybrid model of care where there's going to be a healthy component of virtual modalities but there will also be a very strong foundational component of in-person modalities. And where that equilibrium is, you know, we're all we're all waiting to see what emerges. So that's the that's the moment in time we're at. So it's interesting what you're saying too. Uh, CMS just came out with its healthcare spending uh, healthcare spending report. And before the pandemic, they were saying hospital usage would continue to go up. After the pandemic, they're saying hospital usage is probably going to stay static and home usage is going to go up. So with this kind of shift or whatever kind of balance we're finally going to strike between remote and in-person, do you think uh, the medical community, the healthcare community is ready for it? Ready or not, it's coming. <laughs> now, the question is, uh, are, you going to, are you going to seize the moment and take advantage of it? Now, let's, let's also remember that there are other extraneous factors we need to consider. Uh, number one, the, you mentioned legislation, right? Uh, the legislative action is unclear when, when it comes to making the telehealth waivers and everything permanent. And so there's a push towards making it permanent so people can, you know, people know what they're heading into and make long-term investments and so on. The level of reimbursement, uh, you know, whether it's going to be compensated at the same level as an in-person visit, and that drives a lot of motivations, right? Why would I want to be compensated at a lower rate for spending the same amount of time with the patient if I can get the patient to come in to see me? So there's a lot of those uh, things as well. There's a lot of economics in play here. The flip side of it also is that we are right now in the, in the middle of a very acute uh, labor shortage at all levels of uh, healthcare. 
And I read a, you know, I read somewhere that in the next five years or so, six million frontline healthcare workers are going to permanently leave the workforce, uh, either because they're retiring or for a variety of other factors. And only a third of them are going to get backfilled through organic means. So you're going to be left with a hole of four million jobs. How do you address that? And I was, you know, I was I was on a client call today, and there's great concern within the organization about the 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 workloads and the burdens on healthcare workers. And they're now, you know, organizations are consciously now pulling back and saying, look, we need to take care of our people. We know we are short staffed, but we need to take care of our people. So the technology is going to step into the breach here. And so the virtual care modalities and so on, which allow you to do more with the same number of people by using technology. I think that is going to have to come into the mix. You call it automation technology, you call it virtual care, telehealth, whatever you want to call it, anything that reduces the workload burden, but uh, at the same time delivers the same access to care and the same quality of care and same outcomes is going to have to be in the equation. Very good. So so you talked about the shifting sands of the legislation um, and and uh, the need for uh, to to go more digital uh, for the for the staffing shortage. So how would you um, how would you advise a health system in terms of what priorities they should make uh, as they think about the next five years? Yeah. So as you know, uh, Matthew, there's been a lot of investments made in the last couple of years in these virtual care, telehealth, digital health modalities. What we've seen through our work is that a lot of these were point solutions uh, that were put in place because there was a need. So you put in a telehealth platform or you put in a payment platform or you put in a you know, a chat bot or whatever it is you put in. They don't necessarily work seamlessly. So I think the big challenge right now and the, and the big ask uh, for health systems, for their uh, chief digital officers and their CIOs is, hey, make this all work more seamlessly so that the patient doesn't have a, 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 a you know, uh, an experience filled with friction, make this work seamlessly so that the caregiver is not burdened more as opposed to being burdened less because paradoxically, a lot of the new technologies end up increasing the workloads for uh, caregivers because they don't work well together. The, the technologies don't talk to one another. They don't talk to the backend systems like the EHR systems and so on. So I think the big, my advice to uh, the, the C-level executives that we work with is Let's figure out a way to make this all work more seamlessly. Right? You know, you can throw more money at new technologies and you have to throw some money at new technologies, especially information security and so on. But whatever you have, let's find a way to make it all work better so that you can increase the adoption rate for these technologies. Because if people don't use the technologies, whether it's patients or caregivers, then the investment is a waste and it gets harder to justify new investments, right? So make it all work, make it all work better, and then incrementally build on top of it. Yeah, it's very interesting what you bring up. We've had a number of guests on the show talk about how they kind of duct taped or MacGyvered a few things together, right, to, to get through the pandemic, either through uh, in terms of collecting data or, or doing remote and, and things and telehealth. Um, and then I've heard had a lot of conversations just in the last week about trying to get legacy systems to work together. Uh, uh, and they're all seemingly doing the same thing, but you have to go five different places to get one, one task done. Uh, so great points. Uh, so, some of your writing and your talks, uh, you refer to digital maturity. maturity. Uh, what, what do you mean by that term? Yeah, great question. 
So in our advisory work, we, we were always trying to get a sense of how far along on the digital journey uh, has a particular health system or a healthcare organization come. And we wanted to find more, we wanted to go beyond just anecdotal uh, evidence or anecdotal observations. We wanted to find a structured way of assessing digital maturity and then comparing that with a benchmark group of healthcare organizations. So we actually came up with a four-stage digital maturity model within the firm. And each, you know, each stage has a particular definition. You know, the lowest level of maturity from a technology standpoint is when you look at your EHR and you go, everything that I do is going to be through the EHR, whether it's the best in class solution or not. And then your model two, where you go beyond the EHR for very specific best in class tools, especially around digital access modalities. And then you, you know, go to model three, you appoint a full-time CDO. Model four, you look at digital as a holistic enterprise-wide transformation project. And you're committing budgets at the board level, you're committing it for a multi-year program. You know, you're investing in a data and analytics infrastructure, you're harnessing startups and you're doing it all in a very structured way. And there's typically a group of senior executives that are driving the organization forward. So I would show this to our clients and they would say, okay, where am I in this? We actually put together an assessment model that now health systems can go in and take. And then based on the assessment, we turn that into a score. So point being, we needed a maturity model for the industry, specifically for digital modalities, right? For digital health and digital transformation. There's other maturity models out there. You can go in and do a maturity model on your infrastructure maturity, as an example, or your adoption of EHRs. You know, how, how far along are you in optimizing your EHR? And there are models out there that help you do that. But there was nothing really for digital. So we came up with one when we've, you know, I'm really pleased to say that there's a lot of health systems have taken this and they are benefiting from the benchmark data that they get out of the exercise because then they can compare themselves to where they want to be aspirationally. And they can also compare themselves to their peers, either within their own markets or across the nation. And then make some determinations about where they want to increase their investments or whatever the case may be. So it's very important, regardless of what tool you choose, whether it's Mike Forms tool or any other, it's very important for healthcare organizations to get a really good understanding of what their digital maturity is, And use some kind of a benchmark to keep score. You know, am I within, am I at the median? Am I above the median, below the median? Where am I within my market? If you're in a highly competitive urban market, let's say New York City, where do you fit compared to the others in your market and what are they doing and what does that tell you about where you are and what does it mean for you with regards to your growth, your you know, a patient mix and so on and so forth. So I think it's extremely important for C-level executives to invest in that kind of a, a self-assessment so that they can direct their investment dollars, their scarce resources, their management attention and all of that on the right programs, prioritize them in the right way, fund them adequately, resource them adequately, and make sure that it's all successful. 
it, it's interesting when you talk about a, a self-reflection, a self-assessment on where you are, it, it, it kind of reminds me of conversations I've had with, with um, uh, health system uh, people where there's, there's this shift in, and it sounds like your phase one and two, where they're kind of just checking the box of the legislation. They're like, well, we know we have to do this. We know we have to do this or because of the pandemic or some other external force where, we, where there's a need here that we have to fill. But then um, as you move through your maturity phases, you get to a point where you see these things as opportunities, right? And perhaps other business models uh, that may pop up and, and other ways to move your, your, your patients around or the like, right? Is, is that a good... good uh... Yeah, yeah. The benchmarks really give you a good uh, view of where you are relative to your own aspirations and where you are relative to your peers in the, uh, in the industry. And then that's a, that in turn drives a, a set of decisions, a set of investments and so on that put you on a path towards uh, a successful transformation of the organization. Again, transformation is an ongoing thing, but you have to start somewhere. You have to pick the right areas to invest in and you can't do everything on day one. You're gonna to have to phase it out. But you have to also remember that what you start today has a long life. And so you have to make sure that you're picking the right uh, initiatives, making sure that they're delivering value to the organization so that your patients and caregivers benefit from it, continue to use it so you can invest more in it. And you're going to have to you know, continue to remain invested because these are multi-year commitments that you're making from a technology standpoint. I will make one other comment on this. It's not just the tech. The tech is almost the easy part. There's so much tech available out there. What is hard is making sure that your workflows are appropriately optimized. Uh, what is hard is making sure that the different pieces integrate well and create a seamless experience. And what is hard is creating the sort of, uh, you know, enriching and engaging digital experiences that patients will adopt and will remain engaged with. Right. So, you know, it's easy for you to put a mobile app out there and say, hey, I've got a mobile app. Are, you, are your patients downloading the app? How often do they come into the app? Are they making their appointments through the app? You know, are they checking for their lab results and their, uh, you know, outstanding payments and all of that in the app? Or are they, you know, downloading the app and just continuing to make calls to the call center? You know, then, you know, you've lost the battle, right? That's just one example of how you keep score. And so those are things that you need to focus on as well. The tech is almost easy, but driving change is very, very hard. Uh, that's interesting. So talk to us a little bit about consumerism, because certainly the legislation is, like you said, freeing the clinical data interoperability so you can download it. Uh, the transparency initiatives are freeing the administrative data so you can download cost and price. But there's a lot of people in healthcare who are saying, look, we tried this before. The consumers, the American, average American person is not ready to take responsibility for all this information. What's, what's your response to that? Well, the, the data thing is, uh, you know, has been a... <laughs> Uh, has been a highly debated uh, area. You know, we've got the interoperability challenge that we're trying to overcome. And I think there's significant progress that has been made. You mentioned the CMS, you know, interoperability final ruling uh, for compliance and so on and the penalties. But there's still a lot of, you know, open and open-ended questions about what it all means. Uh, what it all means for organizations that have access to the data and who are now required to expose it, what it means for the people who are receiving it, whether it's the developers or whether it's the patients. There's a number of other questions around it. 
I would say all in all, there is progress, uh, but a part of me also says not enough. And uh, we, but we are beginning to do a lot of things with the available data. We're beginning to make a lot of progress with AI and advanced analytics. We're making progress with using the data to design better consumer experiences so that you get to understand your consumer better, you get to serve them better, and you get to really target them in a, in a very focused way, whether it is to uh, sell them more services or, quite, or, or just to engage them better, to keep them healthy, keep them out of the hospital, and keep the, you know, keep the overall costs of healthcare down. So there's a lot of uses for data. I think the biggest problem for, for data in the U.S. healthcare ecosystem is that it's highly fragmented. It's, you know, it's a highly balkanized data landscape in our country today. And because it's balkanized, there has to be an effort made to bring it all together in some way and make it all accessible and available for all the advanced analytics and all the, uh, uh, you know, benchmarking and the and the experience designs and so on and so forth. So that is work in progress. It's unfinished business, as I see it. And do you think the, in order that 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 move to bring it all together, do you think that lies with the commercial sector uh, and, and it'll come about by, you know, the leverage that le- legislation might do in terms of interoperability? Or is this more of uh, the government needs to take more of an active role? I, I think that's, it's a combination of things. There's definitely some amount of legislation, legislative action that can push things along. There's definitely uh, uh, consumer demand, right? Uh, that is going to move things along. If consumer, you know, ultimately in, in America, everyone listens to the consumer. If the consumer wants something, it will happen, right? Sooner or later, more likely sooner, because the third component of it, which is the competitive forces, will force it. So if the consumer wants something and you're not ready to provide it, your competitor will. And it'll force you to provide it as well tomorrow, right? And then you've got the legislators nudging you along You've got the consumers pulling you, and then you've got a competitive landscape that ensures that everybody is stepping up to meet the needs of the consumer. And, you know, it's a, it's a tide that lifts all the boats in that sense. So I think it's a combination of the market forces, consumer demand, and uh, uh, legislative action. Yeah, and I think this has been noted before, but I certainly think the generations that come after my generation anyway, like my daughters who are teenagers now, uh, that will be the consumer of the future. And they seem uh, very willing to conduct all their all their business, including healthcare, care, uh, from the privacy of their own homes. So um, I don't know if you've seen the same thing. Yeah, I mean, healthcare. care, anytime I want it, any modality I want it, you know, I don't want to I don't want to have to drive into a clinic. You know, I'll do it online. Uh, I don't need a PCP. I'll take, you know, I'll get the care when I need it. You know, there's mm-hmm. all kinds of things, right? Again, that's a whole separate topic for a whole different discussion. <laughs> yes. Uh, so thank you. We're talking with Patty Padmanbon, founder and CEO of Demo Consulting Incorporated. So uh, before we leave off, uh, Patty, first of all, I'll leave you with the last word and then uh, any other ideas you want to talk to the audience about. And then finally, uh, any resources you want uh, to point them to. I'm certainly going to pick up your book because it's got a title that I think uh, attracts me. Um, but any any other resources you think uh, people might be interested in? Well, you know, I, I certainly encourage you to, uh, uh, your listeners to to check out the book. Uh, the, book was, the book was a result of a lot of... Uh, hard work uh, that I and my co-author Ed Marks uh, did together at the Cleveland Clinic, but also a lot of a lot of anecdotes and experiences 
that we gathered through over 150 different interviews with C-level executives, with startup founders, with analysts, with VCs, investors. So it's very, it's a very comprehensive uh, sort of look at what is going on in digital transformation. So I'd certainly uh, you know, urge you to check it out. And then the other resource I would point you to is my podcast, The Big Unlock, where I interview a lot of C-level executives, you know, CIOs, chief digital officers. They talk about what they're doing. And so if you want to really get to hear it directly from the horse's mouth, uh, you can go, you know, listen to what they're saying and uh, you'll get a sense of what they, what they what's on their minds, you know, what occupies their days and weeks. And I also talk to a lot of startup founders as well. I, I listen to their challenges and how they na- how they navigate this complex healthcare ecosystem to you know win new clients grow their business and serve patients eventually so that's the other resource i would point you to excellent thank you patty uh, again patty's an award winning business leader and entrepreneur his best selling book healthcare digital transformation how consumerism technology and pandemic are accelerating the future he's also got a previous best selling book the big unlock uh, and that is also uh, the name of his podcast. Uh, Patty, it's been a pleasure. I uh, enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you so much, Matthew. It was a pleasure speaking with you as well. All the best. All the best to you. This has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. You can find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe. <laughs>